you have a Bible this morning and you'll read along in our scripture reading, we're going to take a reading from uh, the book of Jonah today, the book of Jonah, and we're going to read in chapter one of the book of Jonah, and then we're going to read three verses in chapter three, so Jonah chapter one, and then we'll look at Jonah chapter three, just the first three verses. It says this, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it, to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord." But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots, that we may know of whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for what cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and fear the Lord God, excuse me, and fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore, they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I want to read three verses very briefly in Jonah chapter 3. So we're going to stick, or skip chapter 2, and, and in chapter 2, just for your information, it's his prayer that he prays out of the belly of the fish, and then God delivers him out of the belly of the fish, and he goes to Nineveh, and we pick up in chapter 3. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. That will conclude our reading this morning. 
and uh, forgive me for any mistakes I might have made in the reading today. But the title of our message this morning is The Troubles of Disobedience. The Troubles of Disobedience. This morning I got to the church really early and um, was preparing for the day and um, decided to take a walk through the cemetery. And I uh, got up about a quarter way through the hill and picked one of these up. It's an acorn. I can't see it. And um, I was walking through the cemetery and I was just kind of thumbing around on this acorn and, and um, thinking about it and looking at all the various stones that were out there and uh, the people buried out there, and I began as I came back to the office and was just praying and thinking about the message this morning. Um, I began to think about how that acorn is a very fitting example for some of the things I'd like to say today. Because when I picked up that acorn, I couldn't help, and I don't suppose I'd ever done it to the extent that I did. I looked up at those big oak trees, and they are massive. And saw just how, I mean, there's no way you could probably take two or three people to get their arms all the way around how big that is. But it all started as an acorn. I find that just amazing. That in that, ac- in that acorn, in that seed, when God adds to it, you have something like that. And then that become something like that, right? Something practical and usable and I I suppose, I I hope I never get over marveling at that, that it all just started as a little acorn. I began to think about as I was walking out of those gravestones, all the people there and the day they were born. So often you walk out there, you think about the day of their death. But I began to look at all the different days of their birth. I went this week and visited Sister Lucille Palmer and and was asking her a number of questions. I had never met her before, and uh, I asked her when her parents were born. And she said, 1893 and 1894. I thought, wow, that's just amazing. That long ago. Now their life is over. And it's been over for a long time. And yet, in some ways, their life, as is all of ours, our spiritual formation, our everything about us starts as just a little acorn, just a little seed, just something that we don't know exactly what it's going to be like. We know the species of tree that it is. But we don't know how many branches it's going to have. We don't know if halfway through it's going to die unexpectedly. There are a couple trees up there uh, I know for sure that have gotten diseases unexpectedly. And and people have tried to save those trees and didn't work. And so they were hewn down. They were cut down. Don't know how many leaves it's going to have. Don't know how many people are going to go and grab an acorn and go plant it in their yard And then that acorn's going to grow, and it's going to grow into its own tree, and it's going to have all of its own effects. We don't know. And the older I get, the more it hits me 
just how much we don't know. So much that we don't know. This morning, we are, whenever I was in college, I took some psychology classes, and the favorite thing that we ever did in psychology was we'd do case studies. You know, you, you do data, if you do data analysis, and you look at all, put all these numbers together, and, but sometimes it's really good to zoom in on just one case and bring it all out there and look at it and consider it and analyze it. This morning, we're going to do a case study on disobedience with the life of a man named Jonah. And we're going to zoom in to his life, and we're going to talk about his disobedience. And I hope this morning as we go through this, at the core of what we're trying to talk about and encourage you towards is this. If God is speaking to you something, and you're in that position of consideration, you're thinking about it. I want to put it very plainly to you this morning and and perhaps a way that is presently hidden from your eyes. And it is this. You're not putting into consideration the thing you're thinking about. You're considering obedience or disobedience. If the Lord has spiritually revealed something to you, know, again, as we... I meet people and talk about religion and especially as I'm new to the area and they ask questions about our church. One of the things that I am always most distinct about, about our church and about churches of like faith and order is that fundamentally we are different because we believe that God speaks today. He reveals things to us. He tells us Not only when we're lost, that's a spiritual revelation. He convicts us periodically to respond to his invitation. He tells us when we're saved. And that begins this lifelong journey of God constantly over time revealing his will for our life, revealing how he desires to use us, and that we're compelled at that moment to make a choice distinctly between obedience and disobedience. But this morning, I'd like to even be a little more specific about obedience and disobedience. There are, you know, there are minor things and major things in life, and we ought to strive to be obedient in everything. But the implications of the major things need to be brought into consideration. And so here's what I'm wanting to say this morning. If God is revealing to your heart that you need to do something significant in your life, you need to obey him. Here we read about this man I don't understand the person of Jonah. I would say in the Bible, he was what I would call an enigma. Just a real strange guy. The way he responds to situations, the way that he receives good news, just, it's all so strange to me. Yet, God gives him this call. God directly reveals himself to this prophet who's living in Israel or in the northern kingdom, he's living there in the northern kingdom, and God calls him, and he says, I want you to go. And at that time, Israel was, he was living during the reign of Jeroboam II, and he was, uh, 
he was, it was a very prosperous time in Israel. And you can go to the book of Amos, who he was a, 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 a contemporary with, and you read that the people were very prosperous and doing very well, but they had begun to neglect the voice of God and the prophets of God, and they were setting their affections on the things that were right in front of them. And God calls Nineveh to do something very unusual in the Old Testament, and that is, don't go to my people and be a prophet, but I want you to go to Nineveh. And so this prophet was being called from his homeland to somewhere 600 miles east of where he was at. And so what I want to press upon you this morning is that Jonah was not just going on a 10-day mission trip. Right? We think today and we think of, okay, he was traveling and there are many things that we don't have recorded the journey that he took or how long that it took. But listen, what God was calling Jonah to do was going to take probably a, close to a decade. He was going to pick up where he was at. He was going to leave, perhaps not that long, but he was going to leave and go east 600 miles, taking trade routes, stopping periodically. He didn't, have, uh, he didn't have a way to book reservations. He didn't necessarily, he was not familiar with the path. He didn't have a map. He didn't know if there would be people whenever I go to Africa. One of the things you have to go and worry about is when you get to rural areas, guess what? There are, there are robbers there. There are thieves there that will hold you up and they'll throw a strip of nails out in the, out in the, uh, the road and, and they'll have guns and, and, and there it's illegal to have guns and so nobody with us has any and they'll try to rob you. And so when you're making decisions about traveling, you gotta be very thoughtful about what you're doing. But thankfully I have guides. I have people who know people. Listen, Jonah was taking this journey and it was going to be a completely life altering journey from everything he was used to where he was at. And God said, go to this city, this great and wicked city. So listen, we're getting a lot of negatives here. Think about Jonah's experience here. So far, he's being told, leave your homeland. We left three hours, four hours south. And I can FaceTime my family and I can talk to them all day long and I can go and visit often if I want to and they can come down and visit and it's a minor inconvenience. And guess what? Still miss home, right? It's natural. Everybody still misses home a little bit and still talks to family and still does all the things. Jonah can't do that. What he's about to do is going to be a life-altering decision, the proportions of which probably few of us in this room could comprehend. And he's going to travel to this foreign city and then think of the daunting task. So he's got to deal with the homesickness of leaving. He's got to deal with the the anxiety that would exist from traveling to get there, and then he gets there, and he's not going to a place that would presumably or expectantly be a place that would receive his message, embrace what he has to say. It's a foreign culture. It's a foreign people, perhaps a foreign language that they're speaking, and yet God has called him to go, and it's going to be very difficult to go. And yet, going back to our earlier part in our introduction today, what Jonah doesn't know is that God's command was just an acorn. But with God's provision, God was going to do something the likes of which Jonah could never have comprehended. You see, at the moment of considering obedience from disobedience, 
recognize that you don't know things. I mean, that sounds really simple, but it's actually profound when you think about it. See, what I do, I'm a thinker. I'm somebody who I got a decision to make. And I, what I strive to do is I strive to grab all the variables. You know, I try to say, okay, here's all the variables going to affect this. And I, I'm, 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 I spend a lot of time doing it. And I put them in this bag and I begin to prioritize them. You know, sometimes it's on paper. Sometimes just in my mind, I begin to prioritize them. And then with all those prioritizing, I begin to speculate the implications of them. Well, if I do this like this, then no, I don't need to do that. And then I'll kind of mess things around and turn, the, turn things over and reconsider things. And, and then there comes a point where almost always, not always, but I think, what if I'm wrong? Like, what if there are just things I don't know? What if the reaction that I expected from people, what if the smoothness of a certain thing that I just expect, you know, it's not going to be a big deal. What if it becomes one? What if there's no cooperation with the people I'm supposed to be working with? What if, what if, and there comes a point where I just have to say, you know what, I don't know. I don't know. You see, there was a lot that Jonah didn't know. Yet, what he expected caused him to disobey. And I think it's an important point I want you to consider this morning. When you're on the brink of disobedience, recognize this. What is pushing you away from obeying God is often the ignorance of what you don't know. And Satan, listen to me, Satan doesn't know the future. And so he speaks these things into our hearts and he speaks these things into our lives or, you know, makes things seem all but certain. If I go do this, here is certainly what's going to happen. And he speaks with such confidence and whispers in our ears and in our hearts that these things are inevitable. So don't even try it. I've been uh, on, on numerous occasions been led to go talk to people who I thought would have just been completely against hearing anything about the, uh, the gospel or about my testimony or about the Lord. And I try trembled and I feared and I stayed up at night and I worried and I, I disobeyed God in going. And then at times, the times that I went, the reaction was completely different than what I ever expected. And I felt like a fool because I thought, you know, I thought it was virtually certain this is what was going to happen. And it didn't happen the way I expected. This morning, we live in a time where we have experts about everything. I saw an expert the other day, somebody showed me a video of an expert the other day saying something about really something not even that important. And, and I couldn't help but laugh because of how stupid I thought what he said was. That was an expert advice. And he was just so certain about something. And I thought, are you kidding me? Like, we need an expert to tell us that. But they give off, they can predict the future. Nobody knows. I think that's one of the beauty of why God... One of the great things about God is that when he calls us to do something, he alone knows what the effect's going to be. And so he calls us in a way to do a thing that is perceivably, from the human vantage point, nonsensical, confusing. But he's saying, yeah, watch this. That's what he's wanting us to do. Because in the end, what he's wanting the conclusion of our hearts to be is, only by God's power and grace could this have occurred. So what does Jonah do? Well, he leaves his homeland. I think that's an important point. He leaves. The semblance of obedience. 
right? Okay, Lord, I'm leaving. Or I'm doing a part of what you've told me to do. But what does he do? He goes to Tarshish. Again, just my curiosity got a hold of me, and I thought, well, where's that at? Well, you have to take a ship, obviously, and you go all the way to Spain, modern-day Spain, where Portugal's at. And from where he was at, his homeland, which was 30 miles north of Jerusalem, all the way to Tarshish was 2,200 miles. And Nineveh was 600 miles in the opposite direction as the crow flies. Think about that. In the old world, he was wanting to travel almost 3,000 miles away from where God had sent him. From what I was reading, you couldn't have gotten anywhere further from the known world than what he was. Many Christians do that. You know that? Because in truth... What is at the core of the difficulty of obedience is that it is fully reliant upon faith. That's what's hard. But the Bible says the just shall live by faith, not use as an accessory. Now that's the hard part, right? We can have the semblance of obedience as a Christian and we can make faith a fixture of our Christmas trees, right? Think of a Christmas tree and you decorate it with ornaments and you can say, you know what? I'm going to put faith on the outside so people can see it. And I'm going to go to church and I'm going to do all these things that have the semblance of obedience and in and of themselves, they're good and fine and right. But what God desires is that the structure, that the root, that the tree itself, that is what would be by faith. That that's what people cannot see, but it is what is sustaining everything else that is connected to it. And so what Jonah is doing is he is mirroring so often what happens today, and that is he is projecting this shallow or more shallow type of faith that, that it doesn't bring discomfort, it doesn't bring pain or harm or, or anything, it doesn't bring anxiety or doubt, it doesn't require us to place things of high value into God's hands and say, I don't know where this is going, but I know God's revealed it to me. Here. Jonah leaves, and he's willing to obey to some degree, but he's willing to go in the opposite direction God wants him to go. God knew what Jonah was going to do. The story of Jonah and the whale could be looked at, or Jonah and the great fish, as it's called in the scriptures. You know, you could think that God sent that fish, because that's what the Bible says. It says he prepared a fish. So think about this. That, think about the day that fish was an egg. God knew that little egg was one day going to do his work. Saw, uh, I think it was a picture maybe at a Christian bookstore about Zacchaeus and about how God planted the seed for the tree that he climbed up. You know, I imagine that would be so satisfying to God, don't you? Like when that seed is, whether it's purposely planted, whether it just falls it just makes me wonder if God doesn't look down from heaven and say, one day, one day that seed is going to grow. And I'm going to walk by and there's a man going to be in it. Jonah, God prepared it. You know, it could be looked at as a sign of judgment 
that he sent the great fish. It wasn't at all. It was actually God's grace. Giving him a second chance. You know, that's one thing that's wonderful about the Lord. One of the many things that is wonderful about the Lord is that oftentimes this is how we look at failure. And I think it's a cultural thing to some degree that we, if you're not first, you're last, you'll oftentimes hear. That's not true. That's not true. Or if you're, the, you're not the winner, you're the first loser. You hear that sometimes. And what it's projecting is this. If you're not perfect, you're not, you're not valuable. You're not usable. Aren't you thankful this morning that when Jonah is determined to outright disobey God as far as you can, God says, I love you too much to let you disobey me. I'm going to give you another chance. And he swallows them up and he gives them this quite an experience, don't you think? I've never heard anybody else having that experience. And there, in that fish, is where God, or excuse me, is where Jonah got his heart right. He's down there, no, day, no doubt thinking he's going to die. No doubt thinking it's over. And he begins to pray. You go read the second chapter of Jonah for yourself and you'll see a humbled man. A very humbled man. Calling out to God. And God has that fish spit him out. And here's one thing I want to bring to your attention. And this is why I read chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Verse 2, or excuse me, listen to verse 1. And the word of the Lord came into Jonah the second time, saying, almost the exact same thing he said in the first chapter. Arise, go unto Nineveh, the great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So look at this. Here he goes. Now, in the meantime, I want to bring this out real quick. Notice that Jonah disobeys. And here's one thing that we're convinced of. And please hear me this morning. We're convinced often that we'll continue in a path of disobedience because what we've been deceived to believe about our decisions is that the consequences of our decisions will only impact us. And so I think to myself, you know, I had a friend one time who experienced something similar to this where he was wanting to go a certain path in life and a number of us friends felt like, you know what? You're not reasoning clearly. You're not thinking right. And so rarely do you do this with your friends, but it was of such great uh, importance that some of us had an intervention. And we went to him and we said, listen, brother, like, don't do this. Think about this and think about this and think about this. And one thing that he said was, even if I have to suffer consequences, I think the benefits will outweigh the consequences that I'm going to face. That's what he said. And so he went on and made this ill-calculated decision. I can guarantee you if you went back to him now, about, what would that have been, six years ago, I will assure you with everything in me, he regrets the decision he made. And after all the, the consequences he began to pay, he became afraid to come talk to us. He became afraid. He said, you know, they're going to, he thought we were just going to say, you know, I told you so. I ain't going to say that. There's no use for that. Finally, he came around. We began to console him and the brokenness in the man. If he could have gone back to heeded the words of friends. You see, what he didn't realize is all the different people that would have suffered from his decision. Satan blinds us. We blind ourselves when we, when we want something so bad. We want to get to a position at work so bad. 
We want to live a certain way in our lives and achieve a certain degree of financial freedom. We want it so bad. And we have glorified it. We have exalted it to this high level and put it in this position that only God deserves to be in. But we, we everything in our life, and I think we all know this, there are things in our lives that Ultimately, if you, you really strip everything down, everything in your life is pushing towards this goal or end. You know, when you have that ambition and you're so ambitious about doing something that you're everything in your life, you're, you're, you're raising your children, all of these things, you're doing those things and you care about those things. But ultimately, all of those things are pushing towards this one thing that you're wanting to do. You gotta be careful when that's the case because there's a good chance that God is much less concerned with that object of your interest than what you are. And as we've brought out many times in the past, the horrible thing is when you see people that reach it and it wasn't what they expected it to be and they look back at the consequences that were paid by themselves and by others. This man, Jonah, he jeopardized the lives of all of those men. Those men had wives, no doubt, and children, friends, So many things were depending upon these men just as much as they were Jonah. And yet the decisions, the consequences of his decision and his disobedience, it's as if Jonah says, I'm going to insert myself into your life and jeopardize your life because of my own disobedience. Those men, finally, you know, it's interesting to me that it it says that he had already told them about his disobedience. I find that really interesting. Right, that's what it said in, in chapter 1, that as they come to him, they said, where are you from? What are you doing? And then it tells us, what is it, verse 12 in there? It says, I can't find it. It, say, it says, basically, he had already told them about the disobedience that he was performing to God. It was on his mind. He knew he wasn't doing the right thing. Couldn't argue about it. See, in the end, God was gracious to Jonah. He allowed him to go. And then I want to begin to close this morning with saying this. What if God wouldn't have sent that fish to swallow Jonah and send him towards Nineveh. What if he wouldn't have? To me, I can't find in the, in the whole Bible a more radical repentance from a group of people than what you find here in the book of Jonah. This wicked and great city that is serving idol gods, Jonah comes and preaches to them And it makes its way all the way to the king. And the king is convicted by what he hears. And he proclaims a fast. And he says, we're all animals and people alike going to fast and beseech the God, the true God of heaven. And the Bible says they cried mightily unto God as a people. Again, think of it from the vantage point of God and how beautiful the story is of a man who decides to be disobedient. God performs this miracle, bringing him back to another place where he can follow God and obey. He goes and finally goes, and it doesn't seem like when you read about the countenance and behavior of Jonah that he even wants to be there. It seems as though he's coming and looking at the preaching that he had to do as a a preliminary to what he hoped would happen, and that is that God would just judge the people. Or in other words, what he was wanting to do is, let me get there, get my sermon over with, so God can destroy this nation. And so he's waiting for the fireworks. And he goes and something completely unexpected happens. 
the whole city responds. You know, sometimes I'll get a little anxious about the responsibilities of preaching and worrying about whether I'm preaching the right thing or if I'm not or whether I'm, I'm doing things right. I think about Jonah. I think, you know what? This man who didn't even want to be there, didn't even love those people. God said, listen, it's not dependent upon him. It's depending on the message of truth that I inhabit. Here he goes and he delivers the message and the whole city repents. Isn't it going to be wonderful to meet the Ninevites in heaven? They're going to be there, many of them. And think about it. The eternal implications had Jonah refused to the second time obey God. You know, there are people today who believe strongly in predestination, that every single one of you and every single one of us has been predetermined before time to either go to heaven or go to hell. All I'll say this morning is I don't believe that whatsoever. God has predetermined certain things, but here's what I'll say about that. I don't think you or I or anybody else knows what most of those things are. They're in God's own timing, in God's own hand, as he says in Acts chapter 1 about the kingdom. It's not for us to worry about. And you know, there are people who say, you know, well, if Jonah didn't go, God has sent somebody else. How do you know that? How do you know that? I'm not convinced that's necessarily the case. I think God may have, but God may not have. Otherwise, it takes out any of the consequences and fallout from all of our decisions. Listen, there are consequences to our decisions that God will not always rectify after the fact. Sometimes things happen and what they're hinging on is God saying, I commissioned you to do something, obey me. And we fail and God says, listen, I'm back with the same message. Here, arise, go to Nineveh, do what you're called to do, obey me. And if we don't, very often, and please hear me this morning, this last part, we don't know the consequences that are suffered by the people we never went to and the decisions we never made. Right? Nobody would have said, on earth, well, Jonah, that whole city was going to repent and go to heaven. Nobody would have said that. Nobody would have cast aspersions upon him for that reason. But when he'd have got to heaven, guess what he'd have learned? As Ezekiel 33 tells us, there had been a lot of blood on that man's hands. Here, I want to conclude this morning and say this. Listen, there are certain things God wants all of us to do. All of us. He wants you to be saved. If you're not saved this morning and God is calling to you and commanding you to repent of your sins and put faith in Christ, you need to run to him and obey. God wants you to be a member of a church. No question about it. That's what God wants. Anything that a person, there's no commandments for people who are saved and not a member of his church. Other than... You need to add your light to the candlestick. Once you're a member of the church, guess what God wants you to do? Use your life in service to him. You know, when I grew up, I had this understanding that this is how it worked. Preachers are required to surrender their entire lives to God and do everything he tells them to do. So my view of preachers was, man, I would hate to be that because you could get sent who knows where and get called to do who knows what. And then I remember getting to a certain point one day and I heard about this. Well, I remember what it was. I was 17 years old. I was reading the book To the Golden Shore and Adoniram Judson's second wife was a missionary there with her husband. Her husband died and God told her, stay. 
And there she was doing mission work with all these native people. And it was the first time I thought, whoa, that she was called to do that? And at the core of it, we can debate the logistics of it, but here's what I'll tell you. She was called to surrender her life. That's what it was. And you are too. And you go, and, and, and I go, and I, I live my life, and I, I do these nuanced things that I want to do. And oftentimes, the point of surrender and obedience begins with saying, God, what do you want me to do? There are many people, they never do that. They never ask, they become a Christian, they never ask that. They never say, they, they, they go and they say, okay, I know the church is going to guilt me to join the church, so I better do it. Don't do that. Honestly, I'm just, I've said it before, don't join the church because you're going to be guilted to do it. Don't do it. Do it because you're wanting to obey and show your affection and love for God. You're wanting to follow him with your life. And then once you join the church, you know, you come up from the water. Everybody's excited and happy and you go back home. I hope when you lay in your bed that night, I hope that your prayer is, God, now what? Now what do I do? Imagine the riches that people abandon. And so... They live in this comfortable little shell, just like this. It's comfortable. It's known. It doesn't have any burdens, does it? When the wind blows, it it hardly doesn't probably even feel it. But guess what? It doesn't do a thing for anybody either. Not a thing. But you go out to that oak tree out there and you see all the branches and the leaves and you see that during the winter time and during the rain, all the uses for it, how it even now is so aesthetically beautiful for grieving families that walk up that hill to see their lost loved ones. God, I, I thought of this and I'm done. What is it? 1 Corinthians I think it's 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. I might be wrong on that. But Paul makes this very bold statement. He says this. Follow me. I'm going to stop there for a second. Let's say somebody does that with you. You know, that's a sobering thing. You all know parents. You know, the most sobering thing about being parents is your kids are watching and they're going to follow you. Even in ways that they don't recognize they're following you. Man, as a parent, isn't that sobering? Well, I think it all the time, I guess, because I'm, you know, I have four boys and I'm a man, I think of that even, perhaps even more so, because I just think, whoa, like they're walking in my footsteps. So the question that crossed my mind as I was studying this is, what if somebody follows you? Where is it going to lead? To obedience or disobedience? Paul makes this bold statement and says this, follow me as I follow Christ. Because what he recognized, and what we ought to recognize is this, some people need a living, breathing example to follow in order to learn how to follow somebody that's in heaven. You think of a young, immature Christian on the the milk? 
They need to see a bunch of good examples. They need role models. They need to see the way that they behave themselves in church. And then they begin to copy it, right? And then after a while, they begin to question, why am I just copying this? And they grow and they strengthen. And then their eyes transfer from following that person to following the one that person's following. And Paul is saying to all these immature Christians in Corinth, follow me first in hopes that it'll get to a place where you just take him out of the middle and you just follow Christ. But until then, they were following him as he followed Christ. This morning, I pray in your life, and I'm really speaking to those of you Christians that God has said, I want you to do something significantly different than maybe what you're expecting. You know, I think of that about when my wife and I decided to homeschool. Whole new world. When I was in high school, I used to make fun of homeschool kids. Now I got four of them, right? What a radical departure from anything I ever expected growing up. And when you make that commitment, you know, it sounds good an idea, but you make that commitment, it's like, whoa, this is really hard. That's just one example in my own life to say, what if God calls you to something that's a radical departure from what you ever expected? Will you trust that he's doing it so that you'll stop just looking like this and you'll look like that out there? As the Bible says, an oak of righteousness. Troubles of disobedience. Jonah, he lived it. He lived it. And presumably, he died an unhappy Christian. I pray that is not the case. I pray that if God's calling you to something, let me say this. Like I said 15 minutes ago, I'm about to close. All right. Sometimes the first thing you got to do is you got to let the cat out of the bag. You know what I mean? Like maybe you've got some friends, maybe you've got a spouse, and you have never told what God's told you to do. You've never told what you're unwilling to surrender to, that God maybe for years has been gnawing at your heart. And you need to tell somebody. Because then at that moment, isn't there a sense of accountability that's like palpable? Or maybe you're not that. Maybe you're somebody who's told somebody, and now you've got to take the first step out of the boat. You know what you've got to do first. You know what you've got to do. But you just, you won't. I've got to back away from it. And every time you'll talk about it, and sometimes talking about it just makes it easier to disobey. Because it gives us this feeling that in our minds we're obeying when we're really not. Because at the core, it's just building on the sand. It's just being a hearer of the word, God's word, and not a doer. This morning, I want to prompt you and I want to encourage you with this fact. If you'll obey the Lord, it'll do more than what you currently understand about you and your life and about all those people who are affected by your life that God wants to reach. So let me encourage you to take a step of faith. I think I can make this assurance. You won't regret it. You won't regret it.